Alrighty, happy feast week everybody. That's right, Turkey, Black Friday, and tons of college basketball. One of my favorite weeks of the year. John Fanta here with you. Just got back from Jamaica, was covering the Georgetown Hoyas. Patrick Ewing's homecoming in Jamaica it ended with a W on Sunday. Hoyas bounced back from a loss to Loyola Marymount and found a way past USF. We will get to their impact freshmen later in this podcast, but had to come on and give a state of Big East hoops because... I know a lot of people have been in my mentions, chiming in, wondering what's going on, their thoughts, and look, this has been a tough start to the 2018-19 campaign, but this is where loading up your non-conference schedule with resume opportunities makes the world of a difference, and for the teams in the Big East that did that, it leaves them room to grow, and it gives them opportunities down the road to build their resume up, and then if you put together an over 500 conference season or a 500 conference season and you have the non-conference resume, it makes the world of a difference on Selection Sunday. But if you didn't put opportunities to get those quality wins together in your non-conference schedule, obviously the first two weeks of the college basketball season, we've seen, yes, the Big East is in fact retooling and Coaches are going to have to go deeper into their toolbox. This league has had coaches that have put together a lot of success recently. I think they've warranted the trust, and we're going to get to a coach in a moment. But it is a marathon. But the key right now in the next month and a half is to be able to find some quality results, or else you're not going to be able to have those on the table during conference play. So that's the pressure on the Big East, but... You're seeing young talent in this league that needs to continue to emerge. You're seeing the St. John's Red Storm really an open door for them. An open door for Chris Mullen with Shamari Pons and Mustafa Heron. Pons only puts up eight points in a win at Rutgers, and St. John's didn't win. They routed Rutgers. That says everything you need to know about the Red Storm's depth, about their options. And they put together 19 assists on 28 field goals. We'll get to them deeper in the podcast. We start with Jay Wright and Villanova. And back-to-back losses for the first time since the 2012-13 season. And I understand that Nova Nation uh, has their thoughts. Sky is falling, etc., etc. Here's the first thing. Uh, The coach who's won two on the last three national championships and was thought of going into this season as the best coach in the sport right now, and I'd still take him over any coach in the country at the moment, Yet he's earned the trust. I think Jay Wright knows his rotation better than what others think. Um, Villanova's been able to win with a seven-man rotation. Depth has not been something that they harp on. Having said this, I understand those people who are talking about Javon Quinterly, Sadiq Bey, uh, looking for the freshman to get some more impact time. But the fact is... Coach Wright, there's a rhyme and a reason to all of that. And I would think that he's got a good one. I would think that he's not just saying, well, these guys aren't ready. If there were an alternative, I think he would try it. And I know your, your counter-argument to me is, well, it can't get any worse, John. Well, here's the thing. Apparently, Jay Wright, you know, he, he, he's not ready to, to give his freshman that spotlight. And there's got to be a good reason for that. Because he's not trying to lose to Furman 
and, and trying to prove a point. That's just, that's, that's silly. When you lose 61 points, four NBA draft selections, championship players, it, it's not going to get replaced overnight. It's going to take Villanova some time. I will give Jay Wright the benefit of the doubt and say that Villanova will be okay. They're back in action, the Advocare Invitational this week. They open up with Canisius, and uh, that's that's the type of game you get it back on track. And you've got Memphis or Oklahoma State could potentially face LSU, Florida State in the championship game. We'll see how they fare. But this is where scheduling a road game at Kansas, scheduling UConn at MSG. Villanova will be a very different team on Saturday, December 22nd, when they take on UConn at the Mecca. They'll be a very different team. And I will go ahead and say it right now, the Wildcats will be fine. Are they a top 10 team? No. Are they a top 25 team right now? No. Uh, But I, I do think that there's a rhyme and a reason what Jay Wright's doing. I don't think that the freshman would would be the answer to some of the Wildcats' problems. They had 14 turnovers on Saturday against Furman. And credit to the Paladins, they are the giant slayers, uh, taking down Loyola Chicago, then taking down Villanova. I was so impressed with Matt Rafferty and company coming up with clutch shot after clutch shot. And and Villanova defensively, uh, their lane defense just wasn't there against Michigan. And Michigan's defense, certainly, what a week they put up against Nova and Providence. But for Villanova, they are in a retooling stage. This is why you you put your non-conference schedule together to load up with opportunities. Michigan was not a make-or-break game. It was very surprising. Very surprising. There are issues to be worked out. But I'll still say that the Cats are going to be okay. They've got to find their identity more. And I think we've got to see some, you know, we've got to see Colin Gillespie come into his own more. And that's a lot, but but this is a sophomore who, who's got to be able to deliver. I just think the tough thing right now for Villanova is they don't have a go-to score. They don't have a go-to score. So Jay Wright has a, a task on his hands because last year he had multiple go-to scores, but he lost 61 points. And... This is a Cats team that, that, that just makes ball movement even more important. And to have 14 assists and 14 turnovers, to have those cancel each other out against Furman, well, it says, says a lot. So they go to Orlando. We will see how they fare out there. But I, I still, I'm not going to overreact two weeks in the season. And I certainly am not going to overreact on, on the head coach. Clearly, uh, they were... Definitely not a, a top 10 team. They got that benefit of the doubt. I'll still give them that benefit of the doubt. And I'll say to Nova Nation, take a breath. Take a breath. That, that's where I'm at on, on Villanova at the moment. You go to Orlando. You've got some quality opportunities. But the big ones come Kansas, UConn, deeper into December. The big five opportunities, certainly uh, a better Temple team. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I, I'll sit here right now. And you know, not even at the end of November, I'm gonna give the the Wildcats some time here. That's that's where I'm at on Villanova. Uh, the second point that comes to mind in the Big East is that yes, St. John's has a wide open door. 
The time is now for the Red Storm to get back to the NCAA tournament. Chris Mullen has all the pieces and parts to go dancing. The Johnnies are at the Legends Classic Monday night against Cal, and then either Temple or VCU on Tuesday. The Johnnies should really get past Cal. That's a, a California team, that uh, a program that's really uh, gone south. So St. John's has the opportunity to play for a tournament title on Tuesday. And really for, for the metrics, uh, it'd be good if they got Temple on Tuesday. That's, that's what you hope for if you're St. John's. This is a, a team that we know about their non-conference schedule. It, it is not loaded uh, like some of the others in the Big East, which means that there is not uh, a heavy margin for error for St. John's. But this is a Red Storm team that balled out against Rutgers. And, and the Scarlet Knights got closer in the second half, but St. John's just pulled away and they never looked back. 84-65, the final score on Friday night at the Rack. And again, Mustafa Heron does some things that you can't teach. Pons, eight points, even more importantly, six assists. And the biggest surprise in Big East basketball is LJ Figueroa. I will repeat it. The biggest surprise in Big East basketball thus far this year is LJ Figueroa. This kid has explosiveness to a T. The six foot six JUCO transfer has been tremendous. Went to Odessa College, was a first team All American in the NJCAA. Uh, but this is a guy that has come right in and just been tremendous. Spring in his step. Great versatility. And St. John's playing small is what gives teams fits. And it's going to give opposing defenses fits all season long. C.D. Kata is hurt. We'll be back in about four to six weeks, the program had announced. And that's the South Carolina transfer, the big man. And... When Kata comes back, certainly it's an added bonus for St. John's, but I, I think that this is a team that's at their best when they play smaller with Figueroa and Marvin Clark. You look at the guard play, Pons, Heron, Simon, and then you look at what Figueroa's added. I, I, the bench didn't need to do a whole lot against Rutgers, but look, Mikey Dixon, Brian Trimble, uh, they like some of the other pieces, some of the freshmen. This is a St. John's team. The stars have aligned. The time is now in year four, Chris Mullen, for the Red Storm to get back to the NCAA tournament. Would be their first bid since 2014-15, the first one under Chris Mullen. And, and frankly, I, I think it's something that should very well happen. The way that St. John's looks on paper, and they should be able to run the table in non-conference play, and in the Big East, where there is an open door. The league is as wide open as it's been since reconfiguration. The time is now for St. John's to take that next step, and I think that they can, and I think that they will. I think that this Johnny's team is big dance caliber, and the way that they defend Defense is not my question. They can beat teams defensively. What St. John's season comes down to is the ball movement. They had that in their first real test of the season on Friday night. The 19 assists says it all. And Zach Braziller from the New York Post actually wrote it on Friday that 
Mustafa Heron and, and the guys talked about being unselfish, coming together. It, it's all about decision-making for St. John's. They've been stuck in so many late-game situations the past couple of years, and they haven't been able to move the ball, get good shot selection. Good, good shot selection is created off strong ball movement. And St. John's was able to get that at Rutgers, and I see that continuing. I think that it, it's a game Friday night. I know that Rutgers is, is not a, a top half of the Big Ten team or even you know top three quarters, but it's more about going on the road and playing the way St. John's did. They, they shared the basketball, and if they do that, they've got the weapons and the firepower to be an NCAA tournament team. Big week for Xavier tips off in Maui. Now, the Musketeers losing to Wisconsin, and they got commanded by Ethan Happ, who just was sensational in the win. And Xavier just unable to really get much going offensively. And credit to Wisconsin's defense, but Ethan Happ, 30 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists. Wisconsin looked like a team that had an 18-year NCAA tournament streak snap last year that was looking to get revenge on a team, and, and Xavier had gone to Madison last year and won by 10, and Wisconsin looked like a team that has an All-American. That All-American was absolutely fantastic. And Greg Gard that, that carries over from Bo Ryan the way that they defend. Xavier, like a lot of the teams in the Big East, looked like a team that's still trying to find that identity on the offensive end of the floor. 5 for 24 from 3, that's, that's not... Not Xavier basketball. You're not going to win many games by shooting that, and certainly not the way Travis Steele uh, drew it up. Ryan Wells was one for seven. They need Ryan Wells to, to be going from beyond the arc. Quinn Gooden was one for eight from three in the loss, and five for 18 from the field. As Quinn Gooden goes, Xavier's going to go. Najee Marshall's on the wing, and Paul Scruggs is certainly uh, developing as a sophomore. But here's the thing for the Musketeers. They do have to make some hay this week in Maui. They've got Auburn first, and the Tigers are a Final Four contender. That's tough, real tough. So Xavier will have their hands full in that matchup. Then they either have Duke or San Diego State. It could very well be San Diego State, and and for me, that's as close to a must-win in November as you can have. Because if you're Xavier, you can't go 0-3 in Maui. Because then at that point, your non-conference schedule, the major tests left are at Cincinnati and at Missouri. Ugh. You know, at, at Cincinnati, that, that really is a tall task. It just is. Uh, and, and they're going to want revenge. That rivalry typically goes back and forth on opposing home courts with the winner coming out. But for Xavier, they've got to figure out a way to make something happen in Maui. You cannot afford to go 0-3. You need a quality resume result. And then if you could piece it together with a result at Cincinnati or at Missouri, then you'll leave yourself some work to do in conference play. But they've got to take it one game at a time, and they've got to find an offensive identity. Um, I thought that Xavier made it hard on Wisconsin to score at times in the Gavit game showdown. But at the end of the day, did not have much to show for. They still gave up 77 points, and Travis Steele has said that, that his team's not where he wants it to be defensively. So let's see if they can put a stop on Auburn, but Auburn looks like an absolute wrecking ball. I mean, the Tigers look the part of a Final Four team, so for Xavier, it is a very challenging week. We'll see how they handle it. Uh, the team that you can trust, 
the Butler Bulldogs. The dogs are 3-0. They got past Ole Miss on Friday. Yes, Ole Miss is, is not looked at as an NCAA tournament team. Year one of Kermit Davis. But what it said a lot to me was on Friday, Kamar Baldwin was not on. Paul Jorgensen was, went for nearly 30 points, was knocking down threes left and right. I think he ended up with 27. And, and what it said to me was, is that the dogs, they just keep reloading. I thought Ole Miss kept punching back, and Butler would not let up. Christian David added something off the bench, and isn't that something? You, you probably, for the, the national followers, for even the followers of the conference, you might not have heard much about Christian David before Friday night, but this is a guy who's um, offers some crafty length for Butler off the bench. They like what he does at times, and he came up big. And Butler just continually stands out to me because they are that team you can trust. They've got a legit point guard. They have a supporting cast that will evolve as the season goes on, and I, I like the dogs. I think that the the upside is strong because I think you've got the star, and Butler is able to figure out ways to factor in those guys around the star. So for the dogs this week, they take on Dayton Wednesday. Uh, I, I would suspect that the dogs can get past the Flyers and then end up with a date with Virginia. And the key then will be for Kamar Baldwin to really run an efficient offense and be able to to produce consistently in a game against Virginia that, look, the the Cavaliers are, are tough as nails, defensively stout, but the matchup could fit Butler. The matchup could fit Butler because that's kind of the way Butler plays. So watch out for a Dogs-Cavaliers showdown on Thanksgiving. Uh, that would be Thanksgiving afternoon on ESPN or ESPN2 between Butler and Virginia in Atlantis. Top half of that bracket's got Florida, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, and Stanford. Man, Wisconsin, the way they've come out of the gates, and the rest of the Big Ten for that matter, credit to them. Credit to them. But I, I like the dogs. I think that Butler is an NCAA tournament team. Uh, and, and look, it's only November, but we'll learn more about them this week. Get past Dayton, get a date with Virginia, and then you, you've got something going for you. You've got something going for you. I actually don't mind that matchup for Butler because Virginia defensively oriented, and the dogs, Laval Jordan, he was in those types of matchups last year. Last year for Butler, they went out to the Phil Knight. They found a way to get past Ohio State, and that win carried mileage. So let's see here. Let, if there's a team that could come up with a, a surprising feast week for the good, it's Butler. It's Butler in my, in my eyes. Providence, young team that needs some time to grow. But in terms of potential, I think that you could argue Providence has the best potential out of a Big East team. Because what they will be in February is, is certainly not what they are now. And Ed Cooley would tell you that. David Duke and A.J. Reeves are going to continue to evolve. Friars got overwhelmed against Michigan on Sunday, but you learn from that. They got the win that they needed over South Carolina. And, and from here on out, this is a, a Providence team that now done with the Hall of Fame tournament. They've got a road matchup at Texas Deeper in the non-conference play. Of course, URI on the schedule. This is a Friars team that I, I think... It's important that they take care of business the rest of non-conference play. Got to stay healthy. 
because it goes back to like last year, Providence went into Big East play uh, having a, a real rocky non-conference play due to injuries and due to a bunch of different variables for Ed Cooley. They, they proceeded to beat Villanova and Xavier, and they put together a strong Big East play. They go to the Big East tournament. They advance all the way in the championship game. So they were able to make things happen throughout the conference. The league does not offer the same level of opportunities this year, which certainly shakes things up a little bit. So for Providence, that really magnifies what they need to do here in the rest of non-conference play. They've got a good amount of take-care-of-business games. And for a young team, consistency is, is always a bit of a concern. But this team has upside. I mean, I, I really like what the freshmen add. Alpha Diallo is a complete player. He really is. 17 points, uh, 9 rebounds, 7 assists against South Carolina on Saturday. In a game that the Friars really needed to, to get to get that date with Michigan. And, and so you get the date with Michigan, you're unaffected resume-wise with, a, with the loss. I mean, it's, not, it's not something that, it's one of those things where, look, if you win, it really boosts your profile. But a loss, look, Michigan looks like a top-10 team. John Beeline was getting overlooked. I can see why, just because of what he lost, but... It's safe to say that the Wolverines are better than what people thought. So for the Friars, it's about consistency. But that's a team that will be different come February and March. And that's a team, I think, if I were to tell you right now, two teams that I think in the league that you still really have a lot of trust in, it's Butler and it's Providence. Those two teams are tough outs. They just will be. Creighton is at the Cayman Islands this week. They gave Ohio State a tough one. They really were in that game, in a position. But for Creighton, they're, uh, they're feeling the effects of losing Marcus Foster and Kyrie Thomas. I think Marcus Zagorowski, the freshman, is very talented and adds a lot. Uh, but he's not ready yet to necessarily be the guy. He's just not. So for Creighton, it comes down to which guards can evolve. Tyshawn Alexander had a good game against Ohio State. Greg McDermott. He's got a challenge on his hands, and we knew that the Jays would have some retooling to do. They, they start off with Boise State in the Cayman Islands, and this is a tournament that's very manageable for them with the field and some, some solid challenges, but this is a Creighton team that when you lose the caliber of players that Marcus Foster and Kyrie Thomas were, again, it's not going to happen overnight. You lost an, an elite bucket getter and an exceptional defender, arguably the best in the conference. So I think Creighton's feeling some of the effects of that, and that's why they're retooling. That's the stage that they are in. Uh, let's turn to DePaul. And they were able to get the win, a big one for them, over Penn State. One that got scary at the end, but one that Max Struess led the Blue Demons to. And this is a great story. Uh, local Chicago kid that wants to turn this program around. Juco transfer from, from Lewis and... This is a guy that is an NBA prospect in my mind. Absolutely. Uh, was looking into the draft even last year, but absolutely this year. Because if you haven't seen this kid play, you're missing out. And if, you're not, if you haven't caught him yet this year, if you didn't catch the Penn State game, you were missing out there too. DePaul is better. DePaul will not finish last in the Big East. Um, they were picked to finish last. I, I, I will confidently say, Right now, if I had one confident take from this podcast, it would be that DePaul is much better than 10th. 
I mean, I really do believe that. I, I think that this is a team that can climb three spots from that, you know, maybe four and, and be in the seven or eight slot. And, and for them, six would be would be excellent for DePaul and Dave Laidow. But Devin Gage impresses me at the point guard spot. This is a guy that dealt with some injury issues last year and had season shut, uh, cut short. So for them to have him back, he creates. It enables Eli Kane and Max Struess to play off the ball, and that's where they're best, especially Kane. If you have Kane carrying the ball off the floor, he's just not as effective. So for DePaul offensively, there's multiple ways they can beat you. Uh, Femi Olojubi, I like what he's adding to the to the table. And, and this is a Blue Demon squad that the trajectory is good this year. And that win over Penn State was no, no fluke. No fluke. So DePaul, yes. They get a, a good win against Penn State. They've got time to prepare for a Notre Dame team that's beatable. That's, that's had a couple of, of uh, close scares. And the Irish, in a, in a season where they are trying to find their identity. That's an interesting opportunity for DePaul. But the Blue Demons are definitely improved. And for them, who knows? I mean, they, they could really be the surprise in the Big East this year. And who knows what might happen with this team. Getting a win over Pat Chambers, Penn State, and the Lions. And they grinded it out. They did a nice job defensively down the stretch. And they only allowed two points in overtime. DePaul's got a lot to be happy about. And Max Struess is an absolute stud. No doubt about that. Let's see. Who have we not gotten to here? Let's turn to Seton Hall. Pirates head to the Wooden Legacy this week. And for Seton Hall... An 0-2 week last week, losses to Nebraska and St. Louis. What I notice positively is that Anthony Nelson brings a lot to the table defensively and will continue to come into his own on the offensive end of the floor. Freshman point guard for the Pirates, buy stock in him now because I think that this is a guy that is going to be a big part of their future. And Kevin Willard said in the preseason that he has a shot to be a really good player. We're seeing it now. We're seeing it now. So... Anthony Nelson, I liked what, I, what I've seen. Quincy McKnight had a strong performance against St. Louis. It was a game for the Pirates that uh, they forced over 20 turnovers. Defensively, they were there. They were able to take away a lot from St. Louis. And in the last five, six minutes, Seton Hall really was dictating the way the game was getting played. They just couldn't hit the big-time shot when they cut it to four or three, or, and, and they end up, having a chance at the buzzer for the win, and Sandro Mamoukalashvili was long on the attempt. So for Seton Hall, they can pose some more challenges defensively because they've got the, the defensive capabilities to press teams. They really do. They can, they can test teams with their defense. I like the idea of the full-court press. I thought that it worked really well against St. Louis down the stretch, but this is a Seton Hall team that offensively, if Miles Powell's not going, it's tough for them to find consistency. And that's why I think if there's an important variable this week at the Wooden Legacy, it's to get Miles Cal going. They need the sophomore to find a rhythm. They've got to get him going with some sort of a rhythm. Seton Hall takes on Grand Canyon Thanksgiving night, 9 Eastern. And they'll take on either Utah or Hawaii. Top half of that bracket features uh, Miami, 
Northwestern as well. So uh, a tournament with some, some comparable teams and some similar situations for the Pirates. I think it's very important that they get the, the W over Grand Canyon. You don't want to lose three in a row with Kentucky, Louisville, Maryland still on, on the non-conference slate. But there's another case. Seton Hall can turn it around. They're one and two, but they've loaded up their non-conference schedule with opportunities. One afternoon can change everything in college basketball. Look at Butler last year. They go into Big East play, and people are still wondering, how good is this team? They knock off Villanova. They knock off Villanova with a 101-point performance. And that changes their whole season. But that's why you've got to be able to find a way to do it in non-conference play a little bit more this year just because of, of where the Big East is at. That, that's the importance of that. If you're loading up your non-conference schedule, you still feel okay because it gives you more opportunities. If you didn't, there's just such little room for error because conference play will not allow for the same opportunities, at least at the moment. Things can change, but, but that's kind of the way things are being sculpted out right now. As James Akinjo goes, Georgetown will go. Yes, Jesse Govan, the senior center, is, is very strong. Um, 27 points on Sunday in the win over USF. But James Akinjo was brilliant against Illinois. 19 points, 7 assists. Just a, a strong all-around performance. And then on Sunday, he hits the game-tying 3-4 to force overtime. Comes up with big plays, a dagger shot in OT. This freshman is a stud. Patrick Green was able to get him late in the spring. Akinjo was going to go to UConn for Kevin Ollie. He ends up going to Georgetown, and this is the present and the future for the Hoyas. Not only Akinjo, but Josh LeBlanc really has impressed me. LeBlanc has spring in his step. Folks, if, if you have not seen the Hoyas play, you got to see these two freshmen, as well as Mac McClung, of course. But I really like LeBlanc. Really like him. He may be coming off the bench for Georgetown now. He won't be for long. And Patrick Ewing really is enjoying these freshmen because this is a recruiting class that really fits his identity. And for Georgetown, yeah, they lost to Loyola Marymount Friday. Uh, it would look to me like the Lions are improved this year. They went 2-0 and out in Jamaica, beat Ohio as well. But I think for me, with Georgetown, when you can win key games... And for Georgetown, the game at Illinois, that's Patrick Ewing's biggest win of his tenure thus far. He said it after the game. It's true. Georgetown committed over 20 turnovers in that game, too. When you can win like that, score 88 points, and you have room to grow, that's the best kind of win. That's the best kind of step. Georgetown's going to give some teams trouble in conference play. Because one thing I know about them is they defend. And with Akinjo, he's a tough guard, folks. He is a tough guard. Be on the lookout for that kid because he's legit. And finally, the Marquette Golden Eagles. Now, here's a team that they got past Presbyterian on Saturday. It was not always easy. Um, and Assembly Hall did not treat them well. Just a, a really not, not the showing that they were looking for at Indiana. But here's a team that loaded up their non-conference slate with the idea that they can be one of the top three teams in the Big East, and I still think they can be that. Defensively, we haven't really seen the improvement. 
Now, I say going into the season, I felt like as much as people harped on the defense, I thought Marquette could simply beat Big East teams by outscoring them. But you're not going to beat Kansas or Louisville, Tennessee, whoever you get in the NIT this week on on Friday. They've got Kansas first Wednesday night. You're not going to beat them simply by outscoring them. Marquette's got to find a defensive identity. They have to make it part in their calling card at some point if they want to be in the top two or three in the Big East because you have to have it. And right now it's just it's still not there. But you've got the NIT this week. You've got Kansas State. You've got Wisconsin. You've got Buffalo. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, Buffalo looks like they could very well be ranked. Nate Oates is doing an outstanding job with the Bulls. So for Marquette, they've got plenty of opportunities. Everything can change in one night this week in Brooklyn, but they have got to figure it out defensively. We know the talent that they have. Marcus Howard, Sam Hauser, I can go down the line on that. But they've got to figure out a way to to break the toughness out. They've got experience. Now they've got to evolve. And Steve Wojciechowski has, has that task ahead of him. Marquette's schedule uh, is, is a deep challenge. But I think that there's still reason to believe that they can respond here. Let's see if they do in Brooklyn. Crucial week. I think it'd be very, very hard to, to go 0-2 this week and be able to respond from that. So let's see how they handle it. NIT gets underway Wednesday night for Marquette, 7 Eastern time against Kansas. What a matchup that will be. It's the Golden Eagles look to get back on track. They got the win over Presbyterian, but now, now is when things really rev up, and let's see how they handle it. So thank you guys for listening. Glad to check in with you at the State of Big East Basketball. And my final take here is this. Yes, it has not been the start of the season that teams were looking for. But when you talk to these coaches in the preseason, they knew they had a lot to replace, and you, you guys did too. For Villanova, I mean, it goes without saying. You win two on the last three national championships. You have four NBA draft picks. I think a lot of us just assumed. I, I think what you can assume is that Jay Wright will have his team playing their best basketball by March. Right now, it's, it's November. And right now, there's retooling to do for him. And there's retooling to do around the conference. If you're loading up on your non-conference slate, like Marquette did, like Seton Hall did, Providence to a degree, Villanova, of course, Butler with a a road trip to Florida, uh, just scheduling a power conference team in Ole Miss and going to Atlanta. If you're loading up on your non-conference schedule, it's going to give you opportunities to be able to get back in it. If you didn't, you have no room for air. I'll be in Brooklyn on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Legends Classic cover in St. John's Monday and Tuesday. Red Storm in action at 7 Eastern time Monday night against Cal, and they'll get Temple VCU. Then Wednesday, Marquette, Kansas in Brooklyn. And Friday, it's off to D.C. I've got on the Fox Sports Networks, Fox Sports Regional Network Saturday at noon Eastern time with Tyreek Turner. We will have Georgetown and Campbell back at Capital One Arena as the Hoyas will look to make it 5-1 and one after their win over USF. 
Thanks so much, guys, for listening. Enjoy Feast Week. Follow me on Twitter at John underscore Fanta. As we've got the state of Big East hoops all season long.